Well, if you are ready to make some changes in your life, but you're currently feeling stuck, psychedelic assisted coaching can help accelerate change and let you manifest the life that you truly want to live. All right. Welcome everyone to a new episode of the NeuroFlex podcast. I am your host, Toby Passman. Have you guys ever heard of a QEEG brain map before? It's something that we've discussed on various different podcast episodes, but if you're a new listener to the podcast, it's basically a study of the electrical activity of your brain, where we assess five major different brainwave frequencies and look to see if your brain is producing healthy quantities of those different frequencies in the correct areas of the brain. Uh, we're able to assess for if your brain is producing too little or too much of a certain frequency. And then we use tools like neurofeedback at Neuroflex uh, to work on modulating that activity. So if that's something that you're interested in, go ahead and check out our website, www.neuroflex.com. You can find out a lot more information there. Also feel free to shoot me an email, toby at neuroflex.com. On today's episode, we have a very special guest, Janelle Becerra. Janelle is a psychedelic-assisted life and wellness coach. Her clients hire her because she helps them clarify what they want out of life and discovers the root cause of the limiting beliefs and emotions holding them back. By integrating psychedelic medicine into her coaching practice, Janelle helps clients accelerate personal transformations, empowering them to get unstuck and live purposeful lives. Janelle earned her degree in health science from FIU and is an ICF certified coach. So Janelle, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So tell me a little about kind of uh, psychedelic integration and kind of uh, how you're able to pair together the, the coaching with kind of the psychedelic assisted, uh, like kind of the wellness coaching with the psychedelic assisted coaching, and also just kind of how that came about. Um, cause that's definitely a, a unique, unique, um, kind of, uh, title that you have there. So how did you sure. originally get going in that? Sure. Okay. So, um, so I'm trained as a core energy coach and, um, as a core energy coach, we basically understand people's path, whether it's, you know, dealing with, you know, professional, uh, relational, spiritual, any, any segment of life and understand them uh, as a holistic view uh, interrelated to each other. But more importantly, um, we analyze the energetic uh, states that people are in within each segment and understand um, that in order to help them move along in each segment, we have to help them move from one energetic state to the next. And so as I go about the coaching process with uh, clients, they might hire me for a variety of reasons, uh, but during the process, we are looking at where they are energetically. So I use um, something called the ELI energy index, which basically creates like a baseline of where this person's average energy resonance is um, when they start the process, the coaching process. And as we go and dealing with any kind of challenges that they might be um, bringing to surface, we kind of notice in that process, okay, well, you're resonating perhaps in a, in a state of having like a victim mindset, or perhaps you're more resonating with 
anger uh, or forgiveness or empathy. Uh, and so understanding where they are in the spectrum helps 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 us almost measure like where they need to go next, right? So as you go through the coaching process and you're asking empowering questions, you're reframing, you're, you're helping the client look at different ways of how they are managing these different life experiences. Uh, but during the process, you typically, with some, with some clients who are, especially if they're experiencing either acute anxiety or acute stress uh, versus chronic stress, uh, you'll notice that there's like a reoccurring pattern that keeps on coming up over and over and over again. And this is kind of where they become stuck. And that's where the work is, is in releasing that energetic block so that they can transcend kind of where they are. So let's say level one victim mindset and move them up an energy level to perhaps more towards anger so that they can take action and move from beyond being a victim to actually taking ownership of their lives and responsibility and start moving forward. Um, so for some people who are open to psychedelic medicine, um, and who are interested in exploring the modality, there's the opportunity to use that insight, that block, that energetic block as a launching point for intention setting um, for a psychedelic experience. And so with the client's um, consent, obviously, uh, they would um, then create a preparation or I would help them then create a preparation plan to sit with medicine based upon that core intention that we have just revealed through the coaching process. And when they sit with the medicine, that then opens up the whole preparation process and integration process where we sit with medicine, they sit with the intention that's gonna help them unblock that specific situation and then uh, create an integration plan uh, after the psychedelic experience so that they can start integrating, uh, well, reflect and then integrate uh, into daily behaviors uh, the the methods necessary to help them become unstuck so that we can then continue on the coaching process. So psychedelics are almost at this point used as an accelerator of change. Okay, and then how does, from your perspective, like how do psychedelics sort of shift the energetics of the body or brain. Um, and I guess along with that, um, do different psychedelics have different different kind of energy, energetic flows themselves? And are some, you know, more suited towards uh, certain people based on based on their energy in your experience? So I wouldn't say that the psychedelic is I'm sure I'm sure that the psychedelic is shifting some energy, uh, but it's not so much the psychedelic that does the work. It's the human. It's the person. You are the medicine, right? The psychedelic just illuminates what is it that you need to address so that you can take action in your real life to help transform your reality. So I wouldn't say that it's the medicine per se that is causing an energetic shift in day-to-day -day life, but it is the, the spotlight that's needed to help illuminate the path. Um, when it comes to the, um, the type of psychedelic, um, you know, the way that I've been working with uh, clients uh, is that uh, I have two avenues that I kind of follow at this point. I have, I work with a Dr. Michelle Weiner, she is the leading ketamine physician in South Florida. 
so I do have a lot of mental health clients that come my way. Um, and then I also have, you know, uh, word of mouth referrals that come uh, and, and they're, they're coming from a different place. Some people are coming from more like life optimization and they just want peak performance and they want to just generally improve, but they're not necessarily mental health clients. Um, so it really just depends on person, like it personalized, per, a personalized approach, right? There are some people with, who use ketamine and who, uh, feel like they get everything they need out of that medicine. They, they are able to understand what's happening in the subconscious mind and, um, get some insights from those experiences. Um, and the healing process can begin shortly after that medication has been ingested. However, there are some times that I've come across some clients who sit with ketamine, but they don't get what they need out of it. Like they understand like what's happened. They understand the insights, but they have failed to connect emotionally to the experience. And so there hasn't been like a somatic release associated with the experience. And in those instances, I might refer them to other types of modalities, including ayahuasca or psilocybin, which tend to really help connect um, people with their emotions in a very visceral way, allowing them to almost purge the experience from their bodies. Uh, so it really just depends on the person and taking a very structured approach to how we incorporate medicine, not trying to throw everything at them all at once, but to test out with minimum viable doses, what, what can be accomplished? How, how are we tracking? Are we meeting our goal? Um, and if not, then what other modalities can we explore? Awesome. And how about just, can you give us like an example in terms of uh, say a client comes in, there's a specific sort of energetic blockage um, that they have and uh, maybe some limiting beliefs that go along with that. They have an intention set and then they, you know, use this medicine, they sit with the medicine um, and then you're helping integrate what's, what's sort of an example of, uh, of something that someone, you know, might, um, might realize or any lessons that they're going to kind of experience kind of along the journey. Sure. Are you, would you like me to give you an example of a specific type of medicine or just in general? Just in, like in, ge in general, if there's a good, uh, good story that just illustrates how, you know, whatever sort of medicine can sort of facilitate, you mentioned earlier, like being an accelerator of change. Uh, sure. So I'm just curious to, to hear about that. Sure. So I had a client who uh, was presenting with depression and um, young girl. And um, basically she had made a lot of drastic decisions to kind of pause her life. Uh, essentially the, the depression became so, so intense that she didn't want to be in school anymore. So she dropped out of college. She broke up with her boyfriend and she um, stopped associating with her best friend at the time. Um, she was experiencing a lot of rumination, a lot of um, lack of desire to do anything um, and just not motivated to move forward. Um, so we ended up uh, sitting with uh, psilocybin and she uh, 
after doing a lot of pre-work before sitting with the medicine. So we had quite a few coaching sessions before sitting with the medicine. We ended up getting to the point where we recognized that a lot of the, the root cause of kind of what she was feeling was that she was completely disconnected from her emotions. Um, she could not feel anymore. It was almost like she had almost associated expressing emotion as a weakness, right? And so what ended up happening was that she had stuffed all these emotions inside of her body throughout the course of her life and had no release, had, had couldn't access them. And so when we sat with the medicine, the intention was I am fully connected to my mind and body. That was, that was the intention. And so as we sat with the medicine, you know, during the experience, there was a lot of emotional release. You could see it coming out of her body. It was just a lot of tears, a lot of just getting it out. And, um, you know, after the experience, it was um, a shift in her mindset had appeared. And the mindset shift was that she created almost a, she had a greater level of awareness of how her feelings were not necessarily who she was and that she was allowed to feel and allowed to express and that expressing vulnerability was no longer seen as a shameful act, but more so as one of being human and it being allowed and giving herself permission to, to feel and, and emote and be vulnerable to others around her. Um, soon after, uh, having the, that ceremony and having uh, that experience, she, uh, within two weeks of in our integration call, so we immediately started integrating right after that. And uh, she decided to sign back up to school and start her fall semester. And she signed up for a, um, uh, a work exchange program shortly after. And it was the testament to how quickly within a few weeks of our, our relationship spanned 12, um, excuse me, I apologize, six weeks. So we started integrating for the first uh, three weeks and then she sat with medicine and then three weeks after that, she had already enrolled back in school. So for someone who felt really stuck, who seemed really unmotivated and who didn't really see a path forward, that uh, that moment in time really accelerated the change and to the point where she made drastic changes within three weeks of sitting with the medicine. Yeah, the, the speed there is is quite remarkable. And that's it just reminds me of, you know, um, I feel like in a lot of publications about psychedelic assisted therapy, you know, they'll quote therapists saying, you know, you can get as much as you can in a year of therapy condensed into, you know, one psychedelic assisted session. And whether that's always true or not, I'm, you know, I'm not sure that's just makes her catchy headlines, but, but I think what you're, what you're saying definitely illustrates that point that you can certainly get a lot of work done in a quick period of time with, you know, potentially with the help of these medicines. Yes, absolutely. But I think there's something really important to note here. And that is that you have to want to change right? You, there are some people who deep down inside aren't ready to change. And 
they recognize that perhaps they are sitting in a in a in a in a place where they're stuck, but they're just not ready to change and they're not willing to put in the work, the integration work required to to make to manifest the life that they're looking to to manifest. And so it's not a cure-all. You are the medicine. You know, ultimately your actions are what determine and dictate your life. And so you have to have to have that desire to want to change and put in the work because that is ultimately what's going to change your life. Do you ever see there being conflicts with like someone maybe consciously wanting change, but then there's, you know, whatever limiting stuff going on in their subconscious that's sort of interfering with that change process. Like someone, you know, who's saying they want to like, you know, lose all this weight, but then it's like they're, you know, they're maybe they're comfort their way of uh coping with stresses binge eating and overeating so then it's like this conflict between the way i see it this conflict between maybe the conscious desire for change and then subconscious um mechanisms that kind of want to keep us in place at the you know where we are so is that is that a common experience with you um with your clients i would say i've probably seen it twice um and I find that the mechanism behind it is just overly identifying with that old version of yourself, right? Um, and overly identifying with the traumas that perhaps they've experienced. And, you know, if I release my traumas, then who am I? Right? Like, if that's, it's that, if that's how they've identified for so long, then it almost scares people to change because they don't recognize that they have the power to design, redefine their identities as they want to, right? Um, and uh, sometimes the the resistance to that is um, quite strong to the point where the psychedelic medicine just doesn't work. And so that again, psychedelics are not a cure-all. They work for some people. Uh, sometimes other modalities are required, um, other treatment options are, are needed. Um, but certainly, um, there, there are limitations and the human mind is, uh, by far the most powerful, uh, uh, mechanism that we would have to like overcome. And, uh, even psychedelics as a crowbar may not be able to do it. Absolutely. What can you tell me about, you know, so you're, you're an ICF accredited coach. What can you tell me about, um, about coaching, what are some of the kind of fundamental principles of the coaching that you do? Um, and if you could just outline those, I think that'd be that'd be really interesting. Well, the first and most foundational principle is that as coaches, we are not supposed to tell people what to do. Uh, we are there to facilitate uh, and empower people to realize their full potential. And um, we challenge people to uh, think differently about their circumstances and to take radical responsibility for the outcome of their lives. Um, in addition to that, um, we, at least as a, a core energy coach, uh, foundationally, you know, we believe change is part of, um, in order to, to create change, we have to address the limiting beliefs, um, assumptions, um, 
and our um, energetic blocks in order to actually move forward. So, you know, certainly um, when I jump into coaching calls with some people, especially high performers, they are ready to create the action plan. Like, tell me, like, I am ready to hit the ground running. Uh, but the reality is, is that sustainable change is not created unless you release the, you make the emotional connection as to why that change is important. So there's that. Um, ethics are a very strong component of the work that we do. Um, you know, being, having integrity and uh, confidentiality, ensuring that, you know, the, the clients are of, Privacy is, is obviously very important and um, that we are seen as allies in this partnership. Um, and that is, is really what the coaching relationship looks like is that we are, we are essentially uh, working together to create an alliance where you know, the, the client is the one who steers the ship and you know, we are there to support. Um, I um, don't know, know that you actually want to get into like tooling and frameworks or anything like that, but uh, foundationally, that's kind of what the overall premise of the coaching program that I've actually gone through, what that kind of looks like. Okay. Okay. Um, and then in terms of, uh, I guess, working, working with clients, uh, what are some of the main, or I mean, if you can even say if there are common uh, common themes that people get stuck on or, um, or you just find, you know, that you repeatedly have to sort of work through the same issues with people or is it people who is coming for something different? That's a great question. Um, the majority, so majority of clients, my clients are women, uh, but I do have some men. And the one thing that I'm seeing a lot is generalized anxiety. And that can come from my mental health avenue or it can come from just word of mouth. But uh, people who are experiencing a lot of anxiety, um, that seems to be the, the overarching theme. Um, with women, I'm seeing a lot of um, issues with self-esteem, self-worth, self-love. There's a lot there that's um, that seems to be, I guess, culturally ingrained. I don't know if, if it's locations like, local, you know, locality specific. You know, in Miami, we have a very um, different type of culture here, and um, women, to some degree, are um, objectified a lot. And so uh, seeing a lot of that there here um, with the men, uh, it seems to be more of a disconnection between their minds and their feelings. And they, they, they're, they always want to analyze everything, right? Like it's, it's like intellectualize life, intellectualize everything. But there's this other component that is you have to feel too, and you have to become in tune with the sensations in your body as you're experiencing them because it's giving you information. You know, you can have all of the, the plans to take over the world and have booming business and, you know, dominate, you know, like this is what I want to do. Uh, but if you're not leaning into what your body's telling you, um, you're missing information and the progress that you make that you're making might be stunted 
you know, this may not be a sustainable way to live your life in a way that would support you thriving. And so that seems to be kind of the, the, the mishmash that I'm dealing with at this point in time, what I'm saying. And do you have any theories about, well, you mentioned, you mentioned potentially like culturally or societally imposed beliefs or values um, in terms of like how much of this stuff is, you know, instilled by people's parents or just things that they've sort of taken uh, or acquired maybe throughout their childhood before they sort of had the a fully developed brain to, you know, properly analyze situations in life. Um you know, or, uh, you know, just the chaos of, you know, normal or modern life um, and things that they're going through now and people being over too much, under too much stress. Like, do you, do you see it as a combination of those factors or is it oftentimes like something, you know, from the past or is it more, you know, potentially to do with, with the way people are living their lives in the present? So I'm seeing both, um, you know, um, Again, it depends if someone's dealing with like acute anxiety or like chronic anxiety. It almost seems like the chronic anxiety folks are dealing with past traumas or past issues that perhaps haven't been fully unlocked. Um, whereas the acute might be dealing with situational um, things that are happening in their day to day. Um, but more often than not, when it comes to to everyone, there, you know, we have all these mental models that we have programmed into our minds at a very young age of how we're supposed to behave in the world, what are the expectations of us, um, and so often we have to visit that space in order to help people create more psychological flexibility to show them that we can move beyond that model and create new mental models of the world that we want to inhabit. Right. And, and that seems like psychedelics would be a perfect tool there um, in kind of promoting neuroplasticity, helping the brain to, or mind to kind of see other options and different avenues to go down rather than whatever's, you know, whatever path someone's brain is really carved out, um, being able to kind of step back and, you know, decide to choose a different path seems like something psychedelics would be really beneficial for. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's that critical window that you try to capitalize on. And, uh, it, you know, part of the integration process is really making intentional use of that window. It's, it, it's almost like a pre part of the pre-planning process, um, to say, okay, well, you know, what behaviors do you currently have in place that are going to help support this intention um, or what behaviors do we need to design uh, in order for you to support the intention of the experience. And tell me a little more about this critical window that you mentioned. Sure. So when you're dealing with psychedelics, um, you have the neuroplastic window where you have the opportunity, which is anywhere, depending on the psychedelic, you know, uh, I know that right now, because I'm working predominantly with ketamine, um, we have about a four day window after you ingest the medicine and go through a full psychedelic experience to uh, where the brain is very malleable, very plastic, and we can take advantage of that moment to fully integrate the experience. Um, 
well, let me let me actually rephrase that, not fully integrate, begin the integration process because integration is a long-term process, uh, but begin the integration process and start seeding behaviors during that time frame to help the person start developing a routine or a practice or you know, ultimately that will turn into a habit um, during that critical window. Got it. Okay. So it's at sort of this period of space where people kind of have kind of like the the greatest ability to sort of rewire their brains in a sense. Exactly. Got it. Um, now, specifically with, with ketamine, you mentioned um, working with ketamine a lot. Now, I know there's like lots of different you know, forms and people doing the uh, the lozenges versus like the intravenous. I've also heard now, I was talking to someone, an owner of a ketamine clinic who was telling me how they prefer the, the intramuscular injections uh, pr to produce, um, you know, these sort of mystical transformative experiences. They're, in their opinion, way more so than even than the IV route. Um, I've also heard about uh, people using like super low dose lozenges uh, during the course of like a psychotherapy session. So they're speaking, they're fully conscious, um, able to have a conversation, speaking to your, the therapist or coach um, during that. Do you find, uh, do you have a particular um, form uh, formulation of ketamine that, that you find tends to work the best for your clients? Does it differ? Uh, what's your approach there? Um, so definitely differs um, with uh, Dr. Wiener's patients. Um, we are dealing with people who might be coming in for uh, treatment resistant anxiety or depression. In other instances, you have people who are dealing with pain management. And um, the way that Dr. Wiener prescribes these medications is, uh, you know, pain management is um, usually tied in with the IV treatments. Um, if you're dealing with anxiety and depression patients, she uses intramuscular. Um, and then in some instances, people who perhaps are um, strapped to resources or perhaps aren't really um, excited about injections um, or needles, they might want to sit with lozenges. Um, from what I've heard, different people managing or going through different experiences, um, you know, the IV treatment can be a very gradual flow into the experience where uh, intramuscular can kind of, within a few minutes, you are, you are there, you are in that experience. So the transition phase from onset is actually very quickly. Uh, and then lozenges take about 20 minutes to kind of really kick in so that you're in that space. Um, people tend to enjoy them, uh, enjoy the experiences overall. Um, I'm not sure if one modality perhaps is more effective than another. Um, I think it's really up to the doctor to decide, you know, what's appropriate for the patient. Um, in terms of um, using microdoses of ketamine, I've actually been using microdoses of ketamine um, to help my clients um, internalize our sessions. So rather than using a psycho the psychotherapy approach where you're doing talk therapy under the influence of the microdose, I prefer to actually have a regular coaching session where the person is completely uh, present in the moment um, without the influence of ketamine. And then once our session is done, they sit with a microdose of ketamine and we create an intention right after our session based upon the conversation that we had 
and they sit with a microdose of ketamine and then they journal about their insights after the ketamine has worn off. And then we bring that back, whatever those insights were. I have them reflect on those insights throughout the course of the week until our next session comes up. Uh, comes up and then we see kind of where we're at you know where are we with this conversation how how deep are we going you know and what insights are being revealed during this coaching process and the reason why i like to use the ketamine like in that way uh, where the patient is or the client is doing this on their own is because um it seems to be like they're getting more out of it without having to interact with someone like they're allowing their subconscious mind to bring forth the information that they need as they sit in silence. Um, this reinforces a meditative practice, which is really foundational to the work that I do, uh, which is to create a mindfulness practice. Um, and so it kind of helps prime their minds for that kind of practice as well. So I kind of use it as a, as a twofold approach. And I, I've definitely heard that before in terms of like a mindfulness practice being like a core tenet of sort of psychedelic working with psychedelics or psychedelic integration like what what does mindfulness um what's mindfulness's role in in sort of with that process absolutely so you know as we go about our daily living uh and again going back to those mental models and how we interact with the world we are constantly in a fight or flight phase you know we're always going and, and going, 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 going. Um, and we're very reactive in our day-to-day -day world. We are compulsively looking at our phones and multitasking, and we have 10 browser tabs open on our computers, and we're just constantly trying to be hyper-productive because that is what our culture demands of us. This is America. We are internalized capitalism, go, 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 go. Um, and so when we think about um, mindfulness and incorporating that into daily life, like one of the things that psychedelics help us do is create a separation or increase our level of awareness during the experience where we can separate our thoughts and feelings and almost see them as separate from who we are, right? It creates that separation. And so mindfulness helps us create that present moment awareness, taking it's almost like taking that feature out of the psychedelic experience and bringing it outside of the psychedelic experience into like the real world where you can create separation between your thoughts and emotions. And it gives you the power of choice to make a decision with intention versus reaction. Um, and so that's why it's so important because as you're integrating, the only way that we can integrate effectively is if we are being mindful of how we are interacting in the world, because it's very easy to fall back into old habit patterns, um, ways of thinking. And if you don't have a mindfulness practice in place, it makes it much more ch challenging to recognize when you are falling back into old behaviors, when you are reacting from a, an old behavior or from an old, from an old identity, or it, it, it creates the opportunity for you to make a different choice in that moment. And so 
that's how we change is by making different choices, but you have to be aware of the choices that you're making. And so the mindfulness helps facilitate that. Right. Right. And that makes a lot of sense that, um, that insights from, from psychedelics, it's not like it's, you know, just the psychedelic doing it kind of, as you were alluding to before, it's like the psychedelic interacting with, with our body and brain and, and something like meditation, mindfulness, it's like the brain is changing chemically, electrically, um, you know, uh, and makes sense that, you know, to not be necessarily reliant on some external method of, you know, accessing that same level of awareness that makes sense, makes a lot of sense to me to utilize mindfulness in that way. Yeah. I mean, they, right. Like you can create an altered state of consciousness with meditation, deep meditators, you know, think about monks that are sitting in the Himalayas and regulating their body temperatures, you know, based upon like how deep they are in their meditation, you know, it's, uh, our minds are super powerful and, you know, we don't necessarily need psychedelics to, to create these changes, but they just help accelerate them. Got it. Now, in terms of like when people uh, talk about like bad trips, I've, mm. I've heard some integration coaches talk about, but I heard one person's opinion that, you know, there's no such, in their opinion, there's no such thing as a bad trip, but it's just sort of the mind. It's like the mind resisting whatever kind of content is trying to come up through the subconscious. And some people are, you know, more open to whatever experience that is versus some people really, really try hard to grasp on to control and and not let, not let their mind go to those places. So is that like, is that kind of go along with, with your view or do you have a different, uh, a different view when people kind of, you experience people having a lot of kind of psychological difficulty working with these medicines? Um, what's, what's been your experience? Well, we don't get to define what's a bad trip for anybody. So we'll start with that. <laughs> people will get to define that for themselves. So, um, you know, from my from my observation, um, you know, the, the, if, if part of harm reduction, right, is making sure that the psychedelic ex experience itself is not a traumatic event, right? Uh, because it can be. And that is something that um, um, if, if the person is not prepared for the experience and they're just hoping to, you know, go to the deep end, and see how it all works out, um, that could cause a lot of issues during that experience. Um, so assuming that all the preparation work was done and the person is in fact prepared for their trip and the trip reveals really difficult things, could they call it a bad trip? Yes. Could they resist some of those feelings? Yes. Um, but there are lessons in that. And, you know, um, you know, part of the integration work is to, to understand, you know, why would, why is there resistance around these things and further explore that when you're not on the medicine, but, um, you know, going back to your, to your question, you know, I, I think that bad trips are defined by the journeyers themselves, um, as a coach, um, you have to have a lot of empathy and understanding for this experience and help them make meaning out of whatever difficulty may have arisen during that experience. As a guide, uh, which I also am a guide, um, 
you know, in that moment when you're dealing with a really tough time, um, it's, 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 it's about reminding the person that they are safe and that they are okay. And also helping them create almost like a narrative arc around what they're seeing, what they're experiencing and help kind of coaching them during the process so that they can kind of ease their way back out of it. Um, so that they don't spiral too far down a rabbit hole. Um, but there's always a ton of information to be gained from what would be a a bad trip experience, because there's a, once you start going in there and you're like, Oh, why, why am I resisting this? Or, you know, there's more to explore there. And then, you know, then it's a continual process of exploration and, um, integration and and continuing to kind of like peel back the onion layer you know so there's always something to be learned with every psychedelic experience i would say got it um anything left like in terms of this whole discussion of psychedelic integration that you feel like is uh that we've missed that's you know important to talk about uh, before we kind of wrap up here um yeah you know i I get a lot of people asking me, you know, are psychedelics going to fix me? And I cannot drive home the point enough that no, they are not going to fix you. Okay. You fix you. The psychedelic is a tool, but it is not the solution. You are the solution. Um, And in order for integration to be effective, there needs to be uh, the commitment to work towards change. Um, and that's the only way that you are going to see your life redesigned with intention. Uh, it's through the careful planning uh, and making space for the type of work that is required. Now, granted, there are people from different walks of life who might have extraordinary resources to help them access different tools um, and, and talent to help them integrate more wholly. Um, But there are also people who perhaps don't have as much and they perhaps might want to take a more incremental approach to their integration as well. But regardless of whether or not you have abundant means uh, versus minimal means, integration is a long-term process. And it's not something that happens, you know, just in that moment with your coach, it's something that you take with you day in, day out, and that you continue to be intentional about as your life progresses. Um, It's the constant creation of who you are and always remembering that you're laddering back up to the intention that you had when you first sat with the medicine. And so many people are also now with psychedelics being widely spoken about and um, they seem to be proliferating too as well. Um, You know, try not to overwhelm yourself with too many psychedelic experiences because until you fully integrate one experience, you're not gonna really see much more benefit from having another psychedelic experience. Typically what I advise people to do is to experience, going with intention, experience your psychedelic experience, integrate your lessons fully. And when you have fully integrated, sit with the medicine again and see what lessons come up for you then, and then integrate, but don't 
don't overwhelm your system with multiple psychedelic experiences when you haven't fully integrated your lessons, because at that point it just becomes a description, excuse me, a distraction or a method of escape. And at this point in time, we really want psychedelics to be seen as a tool um, that can revolutionize mental health and uh, spiritual um, health and um, intentional use and responsible use uh, will yield the best outcomes and will help elevate the field to where it needs to be. Awesome. Well, Janelle, um, for people who want to find out more about your work or connect with you, where can they find you at? They can find me on Instagram, uh, my full name, Janelle Becerra. And um, they can also find me on uh, Google. I am on Google My Business. So if you just type in my name, I should come up. And uh, website is coming soon. So stay tuned. Perfect. And for those listeners who enjoyed the show, you can find us, the audio version of the podcast available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or most of the other major audio streaming platforms. And then also go ahead and check out our YouTube channel. It's NeuroFlex, N-U-R-O-F-L-E-X. Um, we post the full podcast episodes along with some podcast clips over there. And if you found the podcast helpful, um, please do share with a friend who you think might also benefit from you know some of these uh, these same insights. So um, Janelle, I wanted to really thank you so much for, for coming on the show today and just sharing all of your, your knowledge and expertise. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the time.